COVID-19 struck, offices around the world grew dark and quiet. Employers faced the unique challenge of making sure that silence didn't become deafening for employees. The pandemic invited us to forget what we thought we knew about employee engagement and challenged us to devise new ways to unite and inspire people working remotely in a time of heightened anxiety. And we learned a lot. I'm Nancy Anderson, and in this episode, we discuss our newly released white paper, A Whole New World of Employee Engagement, Five Internal Comms Trends in 2021. Today's roundtable discussion brings those findings to life as we dive into how current events have shifted perceptions about employee engagement, internal communications, and company purpose. We welcome Rebecca Raffel, Strategy Director at Havas People, and Katherine Reichert, Director of Employee Communications at Equitable. Then, stick around for the Red Questionnaire when I talk to Steve Fontenot, Managing Director at Red Havas Australia and Havas Boulevard. But first, Linda Descano, Executive Vice President at Red Havas US, gets the roundtable conversation underway. Rebecca, Catherine, welcome to the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. The three Ps of the past year or so, the pandemic, polarizing politics, and protests around social justice have profoundly changed the expectations of employees themselves and how shareholders and other stakeholders view how companies treat their employees. As such, it's required all of us and every other communications pro on the planet to rethink and reconsider everything we thought we knew about the world of internal communication. Catherine, working on the brand side, you've been in the thick of this for the past 18 months. So I'd love to start with you and you know, break it down for us. How have these three Ps changed internal and external perceptions about employees and the role of internal communications in a company? Wow. Um, good morning, Linda. Hi, Bex. Um, I can't think of a way that it hasn't changed what we're doing internally. Um, you know, starting with the pandemic, um, we've seen a changing of the role of the employer from someone who gives you benefits, encourages you to use them, to someone who's really your partner in health and safety. And, you know, it's a time when actions really speak louder than words. And that extends to everything from you know, pointing out to employees that vaccinations are covered under the health plans to, you know, launching new wellness benefits that help people deal with mental health to things that they're doing in the workplace. So when people re-enter the work, the physical workplace, they'll feel safer and better about being at work. And, you know, the polarizing, the two other P's, the polarizing politics and the social media, the social justice protests, I see as sort of the same thing, and the pandemic has also brought up a lot of social issues. People want to work for a company that reflects their values. And you know, with whatever the values are, um, most companies talk a lot about DEI, but how do they live it? What are their visible signs to the public? And so many companies have been called to take a stand in the last couple of years about okay, these are your values internally, but let's tell the public, what do you believe in? And this is the sort of thing that, you know, can enhance employee retention or not, enhance talent acquisition or not, 
Um, but it really points to a company's brand reputation in the marketplace. So all of these things have combined to influence internal comms, which have become more honest, more direct, more of a partner to employees rather than just pushing out information. I think you've, you've touched on so many important themes there, um, but perhaps we can start with the, the issue of actions speak louder than words, right? And the, the shift that I think we've seen over the past year from companies um, making pledges whether it's around DE&I issues or, or, or support for communities or employees, you know, to, to navigate through the pandemic, to expectations rising about what is the tangible progress against those commitments. Mm -hmm. And if there is a gap between what you're saying externally and what you're doing internally, that creates a new source of reputational risk because employees are now, have embraced their voice and are now actively raising it. And that's something we, we just actually touched on in another white paper we published. It's called From Pledges to Progress, Living Brand Purpose Today. So Bex, I'm wondering what you've been seeing. You work with organizations across the world from uh, many different sectors on the, you know, around the, the topic of employee, employee engagement and experience. What are the themes that are resonating with you and how is, purpose perhaps being viewed and looked at differently today versus, you know, before the pandemic? It's a great question. And thanks, Catherine, for all those great points, too. And there's a lot that we're hearing from organisations. And importantly, we've been speaking to a lot of employees and doing a lot of listening work um, through the last 18 months, which has been really fascinating and an absolute privilege um, because we're hearing that they're exhausted, they're overwhelmed, they're burnt out. And that means they haven't got time to focus on anything other than what's very important to them. And as Catherine, you alluded to, actually, what's important to them is safety right now. Um, and so, you know, we've been doing internal employee insight work, but we also recently did an external survey with 500 professionals from across eight markets, including the US and China and some European markets, too. And of the top 10 career drivers that people cared about, five of those related to functional benefits. So is my salary going to be safe? What are my benefits? What does the job security look like? And what's the performance based rewards? What am I, what am I actually going to get from working here? Um, but whilst our message is always get the basics right um, to communicators internally, i.e. What's, what's the critical stuff that people need to know to feel safe, we also know that purpose is really important to people. And interestingly, it's not just the, the Gen Z audience or the millennial audience that care about this stuff. Everyone cares about this stuff. Um, and what we're able to see is that engagement from employees really increases when they're able to make a really strong connection with what they do on a day to day basis in their role. When they get up in the morning, when they get in front of their computer or they go into their manufacturing plant, mm -hmm. it can make a connection between the company's purpose and what they do every day, their engagement increases. So in short, it's that personal connection. It's that what's in it for me? Why do I get out of bed? <clears throat> and I think what we're seeing is the role of internal communications in helping people make that connection, especially for people who maybe sit away from the end user of a product, product whether that's a consumer or a customer or a, um, or a patient in healthcare or whatever. Um, they feel more connected the further away from that they are. So 
actually internal communications can really help because they can enable people to tell their stories. They can enable leaders to kind of help be humane and show that empathy and show why what they're doing counts towards the strategy and to the purpose and so on. Um, and ultimately, it makes people feel really proud of working for an organisation if they can connect to that purpose. So I think you're right. I think all of that kind of lofty um, sentiment around we're going to change the world and we're an amazing organisation is great, but it means nothing if you're not going to tell us how and why and importantly, how I as an individual can contribute to that. I couldn't agree with you more because isn't that what communication is all about, you know, internal and external? Right. particularly internal. Generally, a strategy should seek to, in my opinion, should seek to connect employees to the mission and vision of where they're working, connect employees to senior leaders as leaders, but also as colleagues, mm -hmm. and help employees connect to each other. And that is really, you know, the heart of employee engagement. And, you know, in a communication, the teams I've led, we try to hit all three we call it the trifecta. Mm -hmm. um, and even if we just hit one, I consider that a win. I'd love to build on what you've said, Catherine, about connecting employees with, with senior leaders. Because one of the other things I think we've, we've all seen in, in, in this space is that leaders have really stepped into the spotlight over the past 18 months, making themselves available, not just externally and talking about what their company is doing around purpose or in response to the pandemic, but really talking to employees on a very regular basis, giving them updates about the impact of the pandemic on, on the, the business, what the company or the organization is doing in their community and, and so forth. And we've seen many executives share their internal communications externally through through LinkedIn and such, but it's really um, changed employee expectations around the level of access that they have. And, you know, one of the things that we learned through some of the interviews we conducted um, with internal comms leaders around uh, the globe is many um, of those executive employee conversations shifted from more formal presentation style town halls and webcasts to more of like the ask me anything fireside chat format. So a lot more informality, breaking down some of the perceived barriers. Mm -hmm. And like, we're all in this together. And I'm curious, as we move into this post-demic environment, where there is now this experience for the past 18 months of having a multi-log, right? Having this ongoing access and engagement. Do you think that um, this will continue? Do you see senior leaders able to step back? You know, what is the new dynamic um, and expectation of, of senior leaders internally? The dynamic has completely changed. And I see senior leaders as able to step back. I don't know how many would be willing. And, you know, speaking personally, the people I work with, I would advise them not to. The pandemic has proved to be the great leveler, in my opinion. You know, just as I was saying a moment ago about giving employees a chance to connect with senior leaders as colleagues, that's what it's done. You know, we've all gone through this first time experience together and everyone has had a different experience. Part of the reason that most companies will come out of this with 
stronger employee engagement and a more loyal workforce is how leaders relate to their employees. You know, to say, hey, this has been difficult for me too. We've had a really rough time. And here's how we're all going to get through this together. So it's the sense of collaboratively working through these difficulties together and coming out on the other side as a stronger team and a stronger company. Um, I don't see it going back. Um, there's also been an increased level of transparency and empathy. Um, as Beck said a moment ago, you know, communications change to be more human. And frankly, I think it's a revelation for employees to see their leaders as, hey, he or she is just like me. We've all gone through this. We're all having issues. I can relate to that. It's a really humanizing experience and leveling as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, we we've all experienced the pets and we've all experienced the kids being present on the conference calls and so on. But there's an interesting quote, which is we may be all in the same storm, but we're not necessarily all in the same boat. So I think leaders access and empathy um, and that kind of understanding that we're all going through this together is great. But that also needs to have um, there also needs to be acknowledgement that we don't all have the same resources that sit behind us. So whilst it is a level right. A, so a real opportunity for leaders, I think, to call out some of the the kind of real issues of inclusion and diversity, that we're not all in a great big house in an office. Some of us are on the kitchen table. Some people are using ironing boards. Some people are on their laps, you know, with their with their laptop. And some people are not working from home at all. So it's that acknowledgement that whilst we're going through this extraordinary event together, as you absolutely quite rightly said, it's okay, but we all have different situations that we're dealing with as well. And I think the leaders who can do that with real humanity and real empathy are the ones that have really given their employees that insight into quite how human they are. I totally agree with you. And, you know, while we've all been having a unique first time experience, uh, you can talk to 5,000 people and there will be 5,000 different experiences. Exactly. And yeah. everyone has different feelings about, you know, how engaged they are with their company's mission and vision, how they feel about their work, how willing they are to go back to a physical workplace. So I think it's incumbent on leaders to recognize that diversity of experience and opinions in the workplace. And I think it also comes down to, as we navigate this new territory, many employees, many people, right? We're reevaluating and, and reprioritizing. And we're also looking for, instead of uh, how do I fit my life around work, it's how does work fit into my life? And it's right. a very individual experience. And, and one of my takeaways from some of the, the research we've been doing is that employees are looking for that level of customization. And, mm -hmm. and, and Catherine, you used the word partner and looking at your employer as your partner. And it's almost like, how do we co-create a role that's a win-win it's a win for the company and i'm contributing and adding value but it's also a win for me because it gives me the uh, ability to to live my authentic life right to achieve everything that i want to navigate my caregiving responsibilities right my other priorities my personal passion and doing in a way so it is i think that employer employee contract is changing and what people, what we expect and will make us thrive personally is different than it was, but what employers also need 
right? Because it's this never ending time of transformation, regardless of industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's finding that, that optimal mix, but it also feels like it's going to be a very fluid dynamic uh, because we don't know, um, like we couldn't have foreseen where we are today in six, 12, 18 months time, we may have very different set of expectations and experiences as we, as we create this new normal together. And also, I think, um, speaking from my own experience, that's a really good point, not only different expectations, but if we had been able to look into the future, I think a number of us would have done things a little bit differently. You know, I remember going home in March 2020 and thinking, oh, I'll be back in the office in two weeks. And of course, that didn't happen. But, you know, it's, it's all been a learning experience in not only the capability of communications, both internal and external, but what employees really want. You know, people are very, very vocal about, like you said, reevaluating their lives and their work and reprioritizing and wanting to bring their authentic selves to work, the work that they choose, that gives, that provides them value. So there's, you know, a lot of us are still figuring it out. And most of us, including myself, have made many mistakes. But these, these are the kind of mistakes that are very illuminating and you can, you can learn from them and then build better next time. I don't know if you guys have had this um, experience, but um, a lot of the clients that we are speaking to um, have really changed the tone of their communications as well. So whereby in, in previous years, it would be, you know, this is our view on this and this is the way we're going to make this happen. And this is our, this is our way of doing things. Now it's much more acceptable to say, do you know what? We don't have all the answers. That's okay because we're trying to work it out as we go. There's still a, you know, we have confidence in our ability and our expertise and, and all of that kind of stuff, but it's actually okay to not know all the answers. And I think if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that it's, we're not always going to be able to plan to the nth degree. And on that note, I guess a lot of our clients are really truly seeing the value of talking to their people about what they think. Whereas we used to hear a lot, oh, we don't want to ask our employees. They've got too much on anyway. They're, they're fatigued by surveys, which is also true. We're now hearing, well, how can we, how can we get in front of them? How can we hear what's really, what really matters to them? How can we get their ideas about how we can do things better? So I think those are quite interesting. I agree. Mm -hmm. I think the perception of employees has changed from an audience to a stakeholder group. And that's, it's something that came up in a conversation I I had with uh, a a professor in the communication space. And I thought that was so telling because it puts employees on par with how organizations think about shareholders, right. Or community groups as, Mm -hmm. as it's not something you take for granted, but an audience you have to earn the trust of, right. And the partnership of, and the loyalty of over time. So it's a much more active relationship that you need to invest in. And that that Mm -hmm. similar tactics and techniques that have have historically been used for customer retention and loyalty building are now being applied internally where before it was so that's that like my employees aren't worth it in a sense. It's, you know, like we don't have to spend, make that kind of an effort. Now there's you know, how do we do better listening? How do we do segmentation mm. in a much more thoughtful way? Um, but I also want to touch on, you know, when it comes down to the employee experience, I think one of the other things 
that that we've seen in our clients and then and talking to others is the sense of you know we have a responsibility to bring fun into the workplace that you know how do we and how do we harness employee passions right that could be a vehicle for fostering that dialogue getting employees to connect with each other to connect with the company on a much um, deeper basis and that's been another um, stream of conversation that we've been seeing you know whether it's executives hosting cooking classes to um, one uh, company actually to foster this sense of inclusion and belonging right invited employees to share a local recipe that was of personal relevance but also to tell a little bit about who they are and what they do so you're getting that company connectedness while you know um while someone sharing a passion and that was mine from conversations on you know a collaboration channel and seeing what employees were talking about and how to tap into that and create a bigger experience. So I'm wondering what some of the trends you're seeing. Um, Bex, maybe you can speak to this about how companies in this never ending, right? Distributed hybrid environment mm -hmm. are using fun or creating new ways of fostering that sense of inclusion and keeping the soul of the company alive while people are no, no longer just physically close. So creating social closeness, I guess. So this is a really lovely thing to talk about because actually we're seeing that lots of companies have raised their game um, and really stepped up in the pandemic um, and realized that the employee experience is so much more than just hearing about work. It's about the connections that people make with other people um, and whether that's teams stepping up or line managers stepping up, you know, lots of people have really raised their game. Um, and we've spoken about this kind of work life blurring and I think the organisations that have really embraced that and understood that that's a thing have have done really well. So, for example, um, lots of companies, ours included, have provided connection points for families, not just employees. So that might be like magic lessons for the kids so that you can grab five minutes, half an hour to either get your work done or, or God forbid, have a hot drink. And parents, I know certainly in our company, and I've heard anecdotally from others, really felt that that was a company that really understood that there was more to that person than just their work and getting stuff done. In fact, one of our clients um, gave employees an extra four days off per year to spend with their families. And um, that was an incredible thing because it meant that they could just down tools because they set the different days and they worked out schedules so that uh, people didn't feel like they had to check in with colleagues. Another way that you alluded to, Linda, was pe helping people connect through that creativity and personal passions. So the examples we've seen in action here are things that help tap into their own interests. So it might be a choir, trying something that you've never tried before, um, making that connection between learning and development in its broadest sense, right? To learning and it, it being inspired to do new things. Um, we've had people doing music quizzes, cook-alongs. One of our clients did a daily dance-off at 12 p.m. every day. Um, others had comedy hours. So really trying to lift spirits um, through that creativity and personal passions. I think one of my favorites was a tech company that we work with and they ran 
and continue to run, in fact, a weekly pet portrait. So P-A-W trait, see what they did there. Um, hugely engaging internally. And actually it's gone from being just an internal comms uh, fun kind of thing that they did every week to now being a regular external social content series. And it gets such high engagement on their channels. And that kind of external approach, which we talk about has really given external talent, people interested in their organization, a really good sense of what that organization's culture is like. So that was that was a really great kind of fun one. Also connection through recognition. And this is something that I expect to see more of. So organizations that have their leaders send things like signed postcards, actual physical postcards um, to their employees um, or using peer to peer nomination um, and recognition to get employees to express their thanks to their teammates. And we know that that has been one of the big things over the last 18 months is people really relying on their teammates more than ever before and being really proud of what they've achieved together. And then there's been connection through doing good for others. So we've had people doing walking challenges that are sponsored, stridathons, um, giving people information of how to help in their communities and discretionary time to do that um, inside of work hours. And then finally, I guess it's connection in the big moments too. So not just kind of switching some of the big meetings to just an ordinary Zoom call, but thinking about how you can make that connection with people um, virtually. So one of our clients had a team summit with 800 people. And instead of just doing a broadcast um, meeting, what they did was create a real experience, really try to get that I was there kind of moment that you get in real life. Um, they sent goodie baskets of more snacks that you could ever possibly eat. They sent dressing up outfits to their teams. They closed it with a DJ and a virtual dance around people's kitchens and they kind of shot into people's different houses. So I guess um, there's so much stuff out there. Um, what makes these things successful is that they're opt in. They're not enforced fun, which we know ruins everything. It's actually, you know, get involved if you want to. If it's not for you, that's also okay. But it also gives a huge variety of things that people can get involved in. So it's not just one. And they reflected people's whole selves. Um, so they were inclusive to enable people with different lifestyles or different caring responsibilities to take part. Those are such great examples. Thank you so much for sharing them. As we bring the round table to a close, um, I guess I would ask each of you to share maybe, you know, one or two lessons um, from your experience that, that you think that the brand marketers and communicators um, listening into today's podcast, something that they should consider moving into 2022. What's your like best piece of advice? Catherine, may I start with you? Sure. Um, I would say I would say the number one thing in my mind is to make sure that your brand, both internally and externally, reflects your mission, vision, and values. You know, make sure that it really speaks for who you are as a company, um, to the point that the three of us made earlier about um, societal issues and brands being forced to take a stand. I don't think there's any way in, you know, given what's happened over the last several years, for brands to not take a stand of some sort, whether it's for a societal issue, uh, pandemic related or non-related safety matters, or for what their employees believe in and or want. So 
I personally think it's a really good time to relook at your employer brand or you know talent value proposition and think about how does that reflect what the state of the workforce is right now and by extension what does that mean externally how do we communicate to our consumers our customers and our business partners what we stand for as an organization and Bex. That was great. Um, what can I add to that? Well, I guess um, it kind of connects to what I was talking about earlier, and that's really understanding your audience, making it personal. So all of these great messages from the company perspective are so important, but we must always, as communicators, always, always ask, what does it mean to the people we're trying to communicate with? And I know that feels like a really basic thing, but I know it's so easy to get caught up in the corporate rhetoric that we're all exposed to every day it's these people are not just employees they're humans what do they need and want out of this whole situation um if i can add one more thing to the end i think internal comms has a great opportunity to connect with other parts of the business that influence employee engagement and employee experience you know you don't just walk into an organization and only deal with one part it's the whole so you know, make sure that you're connected with L&D, with the DE&I team, the HR, the corporate communications, the facilities people, all of these people have something to add to the employee experience. So mm -hmm. we help connect the dots. I think that's a, such a great point to make, Bex. It's internal communications is really the connector of the company, but you can have great communications, but they if they're in a silo and they're not consistent with the experience employees are having in other touch points right you're going to lose something you're not going to make the progress you're not going to build the engagement the excitement the loyalty the enthusiasm um that you will if if you can create a seamless experience and this is just one part of the employee ecosystem um, yeah. and it really is an ecosystem that needs to be nurtured and developed you know and and in sync for it to really deliver the most meaningful impact to the employees. Agreed. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, we will include links to a couple of the white papers and reports that we mentioned in our show notes. Thank you again, hope to have you back so we can continue this conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Linda. Now I am so happy to welcome Steve Fontenot, Managing Director at Red Havas Australia and Havas Boulevard. Steve is better known to friends and colleagues as Fonti, and Fonti is no stranger to the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. He joined us back in August when Linda, James, and team did a check-in on our annual Red Sky Predictions report. But this time, the conversation is a bit more lighthearted as we take Fonti through our Red Questionnaire. The Red Questionnaire only has five questions, and we ask the same questions to different guests to understand what inspires them and makes them tick. So let's go. All right, Steve. Um, so better known, your friends call you Fonte. Um, That's right. So we're friends. So Fonte, tell us, how would you describe your job to a child? Well, thanks so much for having me. Super yeah. excited to be here. Me too. How would I explain my my job? Okay, I, this is how I explain it to my my little nephews and nieces. Um, so I'd say something like, "I work in one of those really big buildings in the city with lots and lots of smart people. There are some days where I count lots of numbers, and then there are some days I get to really to look at some pretty really cool 
videos. But the part I love the most is finding really interesting stories to share with people. So the way I would explain it is say, think of it like this. You know, when you're at school and you're doing show and tell with your friends? Well, I work with big businesses to help them do their show and tell to all of the people of Australia. I love that. Bus business show and tell. <laughs> well, I remember uh, growing up trying to explain, when I was starting out, trying to explain it to my parents, which is even harder because kids kind of give you a little bit of leeway. Parents just, uh, what, do you, what, what is it that you do? So you do TV, you're on TV then? I'm like, no, I'm not on TV. And uh, oh gosh, it was almost like explaining the things you don't do to kind of get down to what the rest is. But, right. you know, <laughs> 20 years later, I'm not sure they understand now either. <laughs> we'll try the show and tell thing with them again. I think that one really works. I might try that actually. <laughs> okay, so number two, tell us uh, the favorite place you've ever traveled to and why. Oh, okay. This one is like super easy for me. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. I've said to, I've, I've, I've often said to mates and, and, and people is my pride is in Australia. My blood is from Italy and my heart and spirit is from, is in Thailand. So my, uh, so I, you know, I've born in Australia, very proud Aussie. Um, my, I'm come from an immigrant family, you know, both parents born in Italy and immigrated. Um, and then, I've just got a connection to the, the place and people of Thailand um, just because it's such a beautiful place with incredible culture. And, but if I'm being super specifically, it's, it's a place I've visited the most. It's a little uh, beach in the uh, Northeast of Koh Phangan, which is in Thailand. And it's a beach called Tongnopan Yai. So I, I've lost count of how many times I've visited the place, but I think I've gone at least once or twice a year for the last 15 years. Um, and uh, always doing a mini reunions with friends from all over the world. So I first visited the place kind of by accident, actually, where um, I remember I was with a mate at work one day and we're having a really crappy time. It was just, you know, when you're working on a project and just nothing's going right. Um, it, it, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, every day you come in, you go, oh, wow, this actually got worse than it did yesterday. You know, you just can't get ahead of the game. So we were stressed out of our brains. And so we, we just packed up and booked a flight and was on a plane the next day um, just to get out of here. And so I've really got to take our hats off to Mikey because without him, I don't think I would have found this beautiful, tiny little beach. Um, so it's this little beach, as I said, Tongnepan Yai, which backs onto the jungle. And it's just, just a simple, wonderful, beautiful life filled with incredible people. Um, and every time I visit, I just, I don't even go into the ro a room. I just drop my bags in reception. I walk straight down to the beach. I take my shoes off and I just stand there for, I don't know, could be one minute, could be half an hour. I don't even really know, but I just feel this connection, like electricity through yeah. my feet, connecting me to this beach. It happens every time it happened the first time it's happened every single time since. Um, and I just take a big deep breath and all of a sudden just, all of the worries vanish. So Australia, Italy, Thailand, that's your own version of Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I love it. All right. So tell us this, Fonte, what's your favorite blog or podcast? You know, what's yeah. one thing that uh, you want to turn people on to? Well, listen, I mean, my favorite podcast is the Red Have Ass Red Skull Fuel for Thought, of course. I thank you. Um, but if it. your question was, what's my second 
favorite podcast. Um, I'm actually really late to join the podcast revolution, right? I mean, everyone's been on it for years and I've really just gone, I I'm on phone calls all day. I don't want to be listening to things, right? It's just give me a break. If I'm listening to someone, I want it to be a friend or a family member or someone I care about, not someone else. But I have to say, I have recently gotten a little bit hooked um, because uh, I, I was a Formula One tragic growing up uh, mm-hmm. with a father who was a Formula One tragic. Um, but about 20 years or so ago, I kind of just fell a little bit out of love with the sport. And I, it just, or more, it just fell off radar, I guess. Like yeah. Living in Australia, we're so far from the world and the time difference to anywhere is an absolute punish. Right. right. So you, you can't follow a sport that is based predominantly in Europe and, and well, just not here and be a fully functioning adult, right? <laughs> because it's fine at uni because who cares about sleep? You're just going to the pub at the end of the day, but you can't turn up to work with an hour or two sleep at this age. So I just kind of stopped watching the sport for 20 years because it was just too bloody hard to follow it. Yeah. Um, and then I just realised last year when we're all in this COVID lockdown, right, I watched that Drive to Survive series on Netflix. Have you watched it? Mm-mm. Oh, it's no, so I good. haven't seen that one. Oh, it's so, so cool. And so I watched it last year and I went, holy crap, I love this sport. So I've, I've gotten completely obsessed again because it occurred to me really late that um, with streaming services, I actually don't have to watch the sport live because 20 years ago, you watched it live or you didn't watch it at all, right? Right. Um, or, or, or you recorded on a VHS or something. But um, so, so now I've just, it just really finally occurred to me that I can watch this sport that I used to love because I can watch it on streaming services. So pretty much I'll have a normal, beautiful night's sleep, wake up, go to my favorite streaming service and, and watch, watch it all. But I've fallen hard. Like I'm back in with big time. <laughs> it's all or nothing with you, Fonte. You know me, you know me. Um, <laughs> but I, or, but the show, the show on the show on Netflix that I, that you should watch to get into this sport is drive to survive. You'll love it. We'll add a link to that in the show notes so people can find it easily. Got nice, it. Nice. Nice. <laughs> okay. So tell us what's the headline that's grabbing your attention. If we read up on anything this month, what should it be and why? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, in Australia, we're a bit behind uh, many parts of the world in terms of the COVID response to, to vaccines. So that, that's, that's big and happening. But the thing that I'm really watching at the moment is anything to do with COP26, right? COP26 is coming up. Um, and, and COP26, it's all about accelerating action towards the goals of the, the Paris Agreement and the UN f- um, Framework Convention yeah. on Climate Change. So you've got so COP stands for Conference of the Parties, and it's 26 because the 26th of these UN climate change conferences. So it's actually about a year late because of COVID, um, and it's this year being hosted by the UK in partnership with Italy. So I'm watching anything and everything to do with um, to do with COP26, and I'm just really relieved and excited because I heard that uh, it was announced that our Prime Minister of Australia is uh, joining the conference. Um, and I'm glad because global problems need global solutions and you just can't sit out of history. So I'll be paying really close attention to it just because it's a personal fascination, but it's also really important to our clients. And so that's, that's where my eyes will be for the next week or so. Yeah, it's relevant to just about every brand, every company and every person. Thanks for that one, Fonte. Really good. No worries. So we end this one on a high note. This is the last question from the Red Questionnaire. What's your guilty pleasure? <laughs> 
well, I mean, it's obviously chocolate and Doritos, but because it's a podcast, you can't see me. So I won't say that. Um, <laughs> pretty, I would say that my guilty pleasure is singing very loudly whenever I'm alone. So the shower is a good one. Who doesn't do that? But the car is even better. I mean, who does? you got to do it too, surely. Absolutely. Cannot <laughs> I mean, karaoke, not a fan. Singing in the shower and car, loving that. Well, these um, are safe spaces for us, right? No one around, <laughs> like, just let it rip. Exactly, exactly. If I've had a really crappy day, I get into my car on the way home from work and I put on Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone and I just start yelling out the lyrics, just, just angrily yelling. And I have no idea why, but for some reason on the third or fourth go, I just have it on rotation, right? As yeah. I'm driving home on the third or fourth go, the stresses just vanish. And I don't know why, I don't know why that song specifically, um, but it's amazing. And it was totally accidental. I was just driving home one day from work, haven't had, had just, you know, a crappy day. Yeah. Not all of them are crappy. I know I said crappy earlier, but I was driving home and just Bob, this song came on. And I just started yelling it and as the song finished, I just felt like relieved. So I don't know. Aha moment. You found your anthem. Found my anthem. Yeah. So, so if ever I'm having a, a tough one, I get in the car, pop on old mate, Bob Dylan, and I do some screen therapy. So my guilty pleasure is, is angry singing. <laughs> Well, I think that's really good therapy too. I'm a huge Dylan fan, by the way. You are? Yeah. Don't think twice. It's all right. Would probably be the one that I would turn up and belt out. Oh man. He's a cool cat. <laughs> absolute legend. Absolute legend. Well, that's a good guilty pleasure, Fonte. Love that. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for answering the red questionnaire. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, I can't wait to see everyone in person again, but uh, all my mates, from right around the world. G'day, hope to see you soon. Thank you for joining the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. We hope you'll join us again for more of the latest communications, insights, and trends from the team at Red Havas. Please make sure to subscribe to the show using your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Don't forget to rate and review today's show. We'd love to hear from you.